So this evening we've got an interesting topic lined up. We're going to be talking about, once again, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but if, um, in, in this context, we're going to be talking about the dangers of operating in the gifts without having the love of Christ formed in our hearts or the maturity of Christ formed within us. So, sound like an interesting topic? All right, strap your seatbelts in, because um, this is going to, I reckon this is going to get real tonight. All right. So, all right, without further ado, we're in Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at an interesting character called Simon the Sorcerer. And if we've got time, we'll be moving on um, to another scripture in Luke. But let's just start at Acts chapter 8, starting from verse 4. I'll just read it out for us. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who was formerly, uh, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all from the smallest to the greatest were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what they call the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic hearts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of hands, laying on the, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the, in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Interesting passage, eh? Big scripture to tackle on a casual Sunday night. But we have this guy, well firstly we've got Philip, who has gone about preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God, and he encounters 
an interesting character by the name of Simon, who people said was a sorcerer. And before Simon encountered Philip and received the gospel, he was practicing magic arts, and everyone in the town was astonished at the incredible miracles that this man was able to do. And people were captivated by him. It says men and women alike, small and great, were, my goodness, this guy is doing some incredibly miraculous stuff. And they were, and they were, um, yeah, fascinated and captivated by what he could do. But then Philip rocks up with a similar, or what do you say, a similar gift set and starts performing even more impressive miracles in this guy Simon the sorcerer. And all of the people who were captivated by Simon were then now astonished by Philip. And even Simon himself was like, man, this guy is moving in a power and an authority that I've not seen before. And he actually ends up, it says here, he ends up believing and getting baptized. But just because he starts believing and getting baptized, there's one thing that still hasn't happened um, to this man called Simon, which we're going to unpack tonight. And so he simply, as a believing, what we would call a believing Christian, starts or continues to operate from the same uh, operating system that he did before he got baptized, thinking that he could then attain the gift of the Holy Spirit and start moving in miracles, seeing the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming through the laying on of hands, and he goes and start, and, and offers Philip money that he would be able to operate in the same gift and the same power. Crazy, hey? So the guy becomes a, a believer. So this is why it's so deeply relevant to us because these magic arts that he's practicing, while we, while people here might not be musicians, there is an operating system for us to take notice of that while becoming a Christian, he's still operating from a sense of needing to do miracles to operate in the gifts. But like we're about to unpack, this guy was all about the miracles so that people could look to himself and see the incredible exploits that he was doing as opposed to Philip who was preaching the word of God so that people would come to know Jesus Christ and enter into a living relationship with him. So we're going to bring to light the words behind the words, uh, uh, the word beyond the words tonight and unpack what what really is going on in this passage and why is it so important that we, um, as the body of Christ, learn how to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit from this new heartbeat, this new operating system that doesn't seek approval for itself but seeks simply to serve, edify, equip the body of Christ, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Is that cool? All right. So... Um, we're not going to introduce the panel uh, like we did last week. I think um, people here don't need any any explanation. Uh, um, explanation. We're going to jump straight into it. So, I'd like to start um, start with Greg down the end there. Greg, why is it so important that we don't just um, believe the gospel and get baptized, but that we transit transition from this old operating system to the new operating system in Christ? Ultimately, is because um, you end up doing your own thing, and so you end up uh, operating in a gift because the gift is irrevocable, and so God gives gifts for that, taking them back off you, and you run the risk of building your own life upon them, 
and as Sam said, you end up doing things for you and you get entangled in works. And it's not just gifts, it's, it's, it's all things. And so you have this power, um, but you don't really know how to handle the power because you don't have the maturity to handle the power that God gives because God gives gifts to immature children. You get gifts as soon as you're born again. Um, and this is the challenge for us because God wants us obviously walking in absolute alignment to him and in his way. And so to not allow him to shape your inner realm is to stay as you always were, but you have something you never used to have. But you're still operating from the same you. And like I said, I think this morning, like Peter left everything physically, but he didn't leave his soul. So he didn't leave the way he thought. He didn't leave his own will. And he didn't leave his emotions. And so you take that and you add a gift on top of that, then your will and your emotions and your mind will shape how that all works. And um, you'll get entangled because the lust of your eyes, pride of life, which is in all of us, will go, wow, look what I can do with this thing. And I guess the, the, the tension is that, you know, and I know this for myself, I've laid hands on someone and they were healed of cancer years ago. And so I am being used, but it's when he says, and I know it's not me. So it's not something I actually really, I I pursue the reality, but I don't get bound up in the reality. And so, you know, I, I don't see Christ setting up healing ministries. It was just part of the natural life of Christ as he went from A to B. And I think it's a safeguard and it shows us that actually it's not about healing ministries, it's not about prophetic ministries, it's about being able to lay hands on people when I ask you to and call you to and it's being able to prophesy, but if anything it's the Jesus Christ ministry. And just back to what you were saying before about you know almost needing the attention to come back to himself. It's interesting these words there um, uh, about Simon. It says you know that he was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And I find it interesting comparing like his you know the way that Simon rolled to the way that Philip rolled. Where it says Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Interesting, eh? One was motivated by that they were, you know, doing these miracles for the attention and the praise of man and that that could come back to themselves. Whereas Philip went about proclaiming not his own healing ministry, but Christ, you know, the gospel. Um, and so it's two very similar on the outside ministries, right? They're doing similar things, but from a very different heartbeat and a very different position. So. The really interesting thing is, uh, why is Philip in Samaria in the first place? When you um, <clears throat> back up the truck into the um, the beginning of the chapter, um, this incredible persecution has um, hit the church widespread, not just the apostles. And it's come on the wake of um, Stephen's stoning. And it says um, Saul's there. And he starts ravaging the church. And so he's going into homes and pulling out men and women, throwing them into prison until he can, he can murder them. And 
What I find fascinating is that the church flees, but they're not fleeing in fear. They're fleeing out of obedience to Christ. Because he said, if they persecute you, move on to the next place. And um, isn't that interesting? Because we associate fleeing with fear, but it's not. Because it says, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So, you know, when's the last time that you were persecuted and you went on to the next place and and you spoke fearlessly about Christ? That's that's the 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 substance of Christ that will continue to do it unto death. And so Peter, uh, um, Philip rather, was was in this heart posture that he was going to proclaim Christ because he couldn't not proclaim Christ, even if he was going to die. Whereas Simon was in the position is that he actually wanted the praise of man. So if if something didn't tickle their ears and they didn't like it, he would change his tune. So he was just changing his tune because something else rocked up where that attracted the people. So it comes from the heart, and the heart will always be exposed, um, even though, it, as Sam said, the outward looks very similar. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it will come out what's in the heart. And the one thing I love about Philip was the fact that he wasn't an apostle, but he was filled with the Spirit. And he was preaching Christ. And um, just on that point of the persecution that was going on, um, it, it st- the verse starts that, um, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And I think when when we've actually received the word, the gospel, the true gospel, it, it does, it causes us to go anyway against the persecution or not. Um, but it's interesting to me that... Um, it says the disciples scattered and continued preaching, mm-hmm. preaching the gospels, and then uh, the gospel, and then the signs followed. Um, and yet, uh, if we we see in Acts, where uh, is it Gamaliel? Is that how you say his name? Paul's Paul's teacher. Uh, he he at one point actually uh, he says outright, like if if this is the work of God. It, it will not end. But if it's the work of man, those who follow will scatter. And so it's interesting that um, if it's not the work of God, the people who believed it, if it wasn't the word, actually scattered. And here, if you hear the word of God as, as a disciple, um, whether you're scattered because of the persecution, it doesn't stop you from continuing on. But I love the fact that Philip was an apostle, but filled with the power, and he loved the gospel, and nothing stopped him in that. Absolutely. Mm. That he didn't need a technical leadership role before he could start ministering in, in his in his gifting as a, as a was he evangelist I think you know and I th- and I love that you know because it's Philip but it's also Stephen who we see in the chapter before who was someone who was waiting on tables. Same. All yeah. oh, right. Was it both of them? Um, and yet they they weren't waiting for their big break, where all of a sudden they, you know, became a, a discipleship group leader or an elder before they took responsibility. And I think like Greg was praying um, praying before, and that that to me is what the, the the gospel does. You all of a sudden you you rise up and you take your is authority as a son that you like. Um, position or no position, you're going to function and operate based on the life and the love that's within you, 
regardless of the situation you're in. You don't do it at the rock, but not at home, or you know, um, at discipleship group, but not in your work. It just, it really just doesn't work like that at all. It's a there's a consistency and a substance that lives inside of you that isn't defined by any kind of earthly role, position, expectation. You. Um, it, something else motivates you, and it's from the inside, you know, as opposed to from the outside, you know. So, I think what's interesting, and we all have to take note, is uh, Simon's motivation for believing and being baptized. And I know this is something we've been looking at, you know, the difference between receiving the gospel that pierces your inner realm, that brings you to your knees, so you're fully surrendered because the power of the gospel captivates you and it pierces. And the self in you is killed compared to the self that still lives that wants a better life. So he's attracted by what he's looking at. And the Bible says the eyes are the window to our soul and it's where we lust from is our soul. So he is in lust of what he's looking at. Hence his motivation maybe for believing and being baptized was actually not kingdom but his own. And that can be us too. You don't necessarily realize you do that, but you invite Christ in because you want a better life or you're feeling bad or emotionally you're distraught, but your inner realm is still untouched. So that incorporating Jesus in and self doesn't invite Jesus in to kill self. Self invites Jesus in to make self feel better. And that's a problem for us as followers if we are incorporated. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but you can act like this too. You don't think you might be, ah, you might not go as extreme as this, but you can still use the gifting to build your life on it rather on him because your soul, which still lives, hasn't died. And that's the process, isn't it? Our mind, our will, our emotions are being transformed and renewed so you don't do this sort of stuff, you know. But but this happens in the body of Christ. That's how you get superstars and these people. It's how you can minister out of a gift and lose your intimacy. It's how you can be doing things that are very dark and yet still be leading. Because what's in the dark is still in the dark and it hasn't come to the light. And then it comes to the light and everyone freaks out and says, how can someone lay hands and pray for healing and raise the dead and be having an affair? How is that possible? Because God allows it. So there's a real issue here of the heart, and it comes back to the motivation of why he believed and got baptized, I believe. Because it's his flesh is attracted to what he's looking at. Let's be honest, signs and wonders raising the dead, that's pretty attractive. And so the flesh can easily get associated. Look what I did. And a lot of people start well. And along the line get entangled in themselves because they see things happen in front of them. Oh, and you hear these subtly, it's my church. Look what I am building. My ministry. Everyone has to call me pastor this and pastor that and apostolic Fred and prophetic Bob. And all of a sudden these titles start creeping in. I'm just Greek. My mum called me Greg. When she was angry, she called me Gregory. So you don't, you can't go there. It's Greg to you. My wife can. She might even call me Gregory James. And then I know I'm really in trouble. That's when you really know. That's when I really know. Run for the hills, boy. 
But the motivation of why we got saved, the motivation is why we're following. Why are we following? Why was he following Philip? Why did he want to continue following Philip? You see, it's like, what is the motivation of the heart? And to me, it's once again, it comes down to what is the gospel that we've received, you know, because I think the gospel of the modern day church is that you pray a prayer, you have your sins forgiven and you go to heaven when you die, you know. And all of a sudden, the gospel has become motivation to not to not be in hell and to get into heaven. And and all of a sudden, it's not that it's wrong. It just it's not the heartbeat of the gospel. This um, what what Greg is, is saying that there hasn't been a, a true death to self and a resurrection and a newness of life where you let go of you. Um, or the Holy Spirit does a work within you where you're separated from yourself and you become genuinely and truly a new creation on the inside, not because you're motivated to get to heaven when you die or because you want to see miracles, um, but because you've come to the end of yourself and you've let you go um, and you've entered in a, into a new kind of life, an eternal life. So, if I can just add this. I think it's interesting who was actually uh, holding him to an account in this passage so it's Peter isn't it so the man who said I will never deny you and the man that was all guns blazing chopping off ears is the man that holds this man to an account because he probably transitioned through the same thing and Christ led him through the same thing so I find that quite fascinating that it's Peter that now actually maybe because of what Peter went through has discernment to see what's going inside him when he says, I see that you are on the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And he doesn't disqualify him, eh? You know, it's, it's interesting that he doesn't say, sorry mate, you've, you've lost your chance, see you later, you know? Um, he's, um, he says, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you, you know? And, and I love that because Peter has gone through this process and he knows that he's come to the point of repentance, you know, that there's still hope for this guy, even in the current state that he's in, you know, but there's something that needs to happen, um, which, I mean, I, it's, I'm not sure how you guys interpret those words at the end there, how, um, how Simon responds, but to me, it doesn't, it doesn't scream of heart-wrenching repentance, you know? Um, so. And I, that also really stuck out for me that it was Peter that rebuked him, because I thought that rebuke sounded so much like Jesus to Peter when he was, um, um, saying, Jesus, you know, not to go to his death. And um, it, in 2 Timothy, it says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition of God, perhaps uh, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And and it just reminded me of the love um, that at the time when Jesus rebuked Peter and when Peter is now rebuking um Simon, it's, it's, it's out of love and in humility. I mean, it sounds pretty, the rebuke is pretty brutal. But it's, it says, you know, so that they may know the truth because it's the truth that sets them free. Um, and it's beautiful because it's like, um, Peter knows his identity now in, in doing that. And, um, I think there's a, well, we've, as we've heard, there's, there's such a link between identity and then, 
administrating uh, what we've been given and the expression. Um, uh, there's in Mark 16 it says. It says, when the disciples went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the words through accompanying signs. And that working together, you know, that co-laboring, that's a together thing. It's not, it's not one's person doing what they want to do, but it's the sense of co-laboring, doing it, working with the Lord, and He will confirm the signs and, and follow that. But, but that co-laboring only comes from a genuine love and heart for your co-heir, which is your Christ. And so the identity of co-heir is is foundational to co-laboring. Without that identity, we will continue to look for identity in what we're doing um, and trying to... uh, yeah, do the signs and the wonders and express things to look good, uh, to, to, uh, try approve ourselves in the kingdom. But, um, but that's, when you know you're a co-heir because of Christ in you, who has joined himself to you out of his own good pleasure, I mean, that's when you'll lay your life down, um, and, and seeking, uh, to, to know what he wants to do and, and improve his will uh, on the earth. So it's a huge link, isn't it? And I think we only see Peter later in life uh, knowing that. And Philip obviously was a, a good example of that. Mm. And I love that, you know, we see obviously with um, Peter who has, um, you know, transitioned and has entered into this, this sense of identity because I think to me this is a, is a massive thing that, and it shows genuine, it sh- to me it shows genuine repentance and genuine identity because he doesn't allow the fact that he messed it up those years ago to disqualify him from being able to rebuke Simon for not, not being in this place, you know? And if you're still insecure about your past, then you'll never be able to be to others what you need, you know, like you're, you're constantly being like, Oh, well, I, I messed up in the same way, so I better just almost like let it slide in other people. But actually, that you should be the, you should be the very people who are speaking a, a word, a rebuking word out of love, having been in one position truly and genuinely repented, having so transitioned from that past that you don't even identify or associate yourself with who you used to be, that you can step into the place of authority and give a genuine word of discipline to someone else without the fear of them saying, hey, well, what about you when you were this age? And what? Do you see what I'm saying? And to me, that is that is the power of redemption, that you are, you, you've become a new creation and you don't need to feel insecure about who you're not, but you, you live as a son which is who you always were called to be. So, And that's Paul. If there's one person that shouldn't be ministering, it's Paul. <laughs> you know? And yet, look what grace power does. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it washes my slate clean. And if there's one guy that was holding everyone to an account, it was that guy. I just want to read what... Um, repentance is and what it does because I think it's a, a word in the body of Christ that most people just think it's like oh I'm sorry you know when when David finds repentance in Psalms it's an absolute crushing of the spirit of pride it's biblical repentance listen to the words of Paul for though I caused you sorrow by my letter I do not regret it 
though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful, listen to this, according to the will of God. That is essential. Okay? So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. That's massive. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So true biblical repentance produces life. So if we're not in life from our repentance and we're going, ooh, it's death, it's worldly. It's actually not true repentance. So true biblical repentance brings you to the end of you. And that is a beautiful thing. And yes, at the time, like discipline, it's not good, but it produces a work. And that's what he's saying. I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry because I know what it's doing. And so then, as he says there at the end, I love that, um, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. And this is the challenge of what Sam was saying and what Peter's doing is that peace, peacekeepers, PC Christians never go there because they're afraid to get their head lobbed off. Peacemakers, sons, go there because they're not afraid of getting their head lobbed off because they're already dead and they love beyond themselves. So they see someone else in bondage and have to go there, led by the Spirit, but go there to see a brother or a sister released out of bondage. But they know they may get very much get their head chopped off by the brother and sister in bondage because they don't understand. And so the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, not those trying to keep false PC peace. That is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 to 10. The, um, the very aspect that Simon is asking to purchase the gift of God, um, although that seems a bit shocking to us, um, that's there is a way that we think that we can earn the gift of God. And it's the same spirit that thinks that we have to um, somehow make up for our sin or somehow earn our position. Or Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's what um, Greg was talking about this morning, this... This gospel of works that's very subtle, but it's because it's within the heart of man that there must be something I can do. You know? And, and, and Simon was just operating out of that same, that same thing, but that negates the very entrance to the kingdom of God, which is poor in spirit. The very first beatitude. 
And, you know, Isaiah 53 talks about, you know, you who, um, everyone who thirsts come to the waters, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost, and it goes on. That is the, the heart of the gospel. It must be received from the Father, not through anything that we've done or anything that we have. And the, the very heart of what Simon is doing is opposed to the very, the very essence of what the gospel is. And that's why there's such a strong rebuke because there's no life in, in this operating system. Um, even, and we can see it in the very natural sense, but in the deepest sense, there is no way that Simon's ever going to come into anything of the kingdom with that heart. It's the intent of the heart. And that's interesting, isn't it? That the word of God comes like a sword, double-edged sword to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this is just the, the word of God coming in and, and declaring what is. And that's what what we expect and what we need, the word to pierce us our innermost being. That's the thing that causes the repentance. So this very word that that um, Peter's declaring is Simon's it's Simon's opportunity. It really is because it's the thing that's really gone into his or has the potential to go into his heart if he would open up. But he's going to have to be humbled, be humbled within himself and in front of people and all these things that have been, he's built his whole life on and he's drawn his substance from the praises of man and the, you know, the accolades. All those things have to come smashing down and that's the very essence of, of us. You know, we can spend all our life Drawing our substance from what people say about us. And, and that, when that word comes and pierces our heart, we feel like there's nothing left of me. Yes. That's right. But that's the beginning of life. Even if you're, you know, 99 and you're about to die, if it means that the whole of what you've built your life on and you have a word that pierces your heart, it's still the beginning of life. So there's a lot at stake in this moment, eh? You know? And it's not like um, Simon will never make... Uh, it's, it's not like the opportunity or the um, that he'll never get another chance, but... Who knows what's going to come in the future? And he's, he has the opportunity in this moment, you know, to allow the word of God to, you know, to come in and, and do a work within him, you know? Um, and while no one's disqualified, in, in my mind, opportunities like this don't come around every day, you know? Um, and so it's, there's, there's so much at stake, eh? Hey? There's so much at stake when the word of God comes. To, to set someone free, you know, and I think that's not just in this moment, but there's many moments that we're given where, where that, that opportunity is there, eh? and that's why it says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. You know? I remember in, in this year, I remember asking God a few years ago, I said, God, why, why did, why did you give, um, 
children gifts, knowing that they can get entangled in them. And I remember speaking a message and I held up the keys and I said, there's no way I'd give Madeline the keys to the car now. Because she's not mature enough to drive the car, she'll probably kill someone else than herself. And as I said that, the little voice of the Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's true, but I've also given keys to my kingdom to immature kids. And it was like, there's wisdom in what I said about Madeline, but God was challenging me that he actually has given the keys to the car. And I said, God, why do you do that? Like, it creates unintentional confusion, entanglement, frustration, people running off and doing stuff. He goes, yeah, but this was the thing, Greg. I actually believe in my people. More than they believe in themselves. He said, I actually believe they're going to listen to me and do it the right way. And because I'm God and I'm ultimately in charge of the whole thing, I actually give everything, hoping, believing, enduring, bearing, being patient and kind, that my people will do it my way. And I believe in them way more than you do. And I believe in them way more than they do in themselves. So I give it all. I've sent my spirit and I'm watching. And then he wonders whether we can figure it out with the spirit that's been given. Fascinating. It's the thing, eh? It's like, man, if it wasn't there, it'd be easier because there are authentic signs and wonders. There is everything authentic, but with every authentic is the counterfeit. So don't hear we're not interested in the gifts. Don't hear we're not interested in seeing signs and wonders and God heal broken hearts. Don't hear that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that there is an order to this thing and for our own protection and security and so we don't get entangled. We need to understand the Father. We need to stand our identity and how everything flows. And Jesus is our perfect model. He did nothing from his own initiative. And he said, unless I'm doing it, nothing comes to pass. So it's a challenge. But man, I, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else feels like, I was like man, it's like the labyrinth. <laughs> I think all these things that he gives us and these opportunities is is him saying, who's going to love me? Like, I've given you all these things. I've given my, myself to you. Uh, who who loves me? Because, um, like, um, Simon, the, the, the word, uh, I think it's simony or whatever today, the word simony actually means to um, trade religious things um, for money. And it's almost like treating the holy things as common. And I think that's that's the trouble that we can all, the church can find itself in is, is when we're treating holy things, things that are the, the pure, the pure essence of God that has given to us, that we treat it as something that's so common that we could try buy or use for own self gain or, or anything like that instead of, um, yeah, instead of, uh, Treating what has been given as precious, absolutely precious. And there's, uh, that scripture that says, you know, for those who believe, treat, uh, see Jesus as precious. 
precious. And those who are in unbelief, he is a stumbling block to them. And so again, I think it comes so much to this, um, well, identity and, and how we're fine, how we, um, you know, our life is emerged with him in union. Uh, it comes with wanting this desire to treat our, our king, our, um, our everything, uh, with such preciousness and, and not misusing anything for our own gain, uh, but, but in, uh, service, uh, and submission, a sweet submission, not a, not a, <clears throat> Not, yeah, that's right. Uh, a hammering down, but a sweet submission of, um, you've given me life, and now I can only use my life to give, give back. You know, so yeah. And to me, that speaks of almost all, or so many of Jesus's parables all throughout the Gospels. There's always first something given, you know, and then we see a response, not to trying to do something to get something, but simply. What have you done with what has been given? You know, yeah, and I think that's why you always hear the disciples preaching Christ, and then all the other things come. But it's because everything is we we hear over and over. Everything is contained in Christ and Christ alone. The gospel contains everything. Even when they come back and they say, you know, man, man, the demons, sub- you know, bow down to us. And what does he say? Don't celebrate that. Celebrate the fact that your names are written in the book of life. So even that little thing is Jesus showing his position on all this stuff. You know, it's awesome, but don't park the bus. Don't set up a ministry camp here and start calling it the healing this and the healing that because you'll stop. And like the Ephesians, the works will become your priority and you'll probably leave your first love because he was on a very specific pursuit and journey and he knew exactly where he was going and he knew now and the future and part of this stuff is that because we're so earthly and so we only ever see this earth as life and yet this is the temporal you know we're moving towards something far greater than here and so do you have eyes for what is greater than the earth can you see the purpose for God which is in an eternal realm to be discovered that would impact your life today or are you transfixed on everything temporal and earthly you know healing I go I'm going to die you know there's this thing about healing people from sickness and death and it's like great cool I'm all for it but I'm actually going to die at some point so if you raise me from the dead I've got to go back I want to go be with Jesus and you're bringing me from the dead man I mean let me go I've seen it I want to go there um, hear what I'm saying, it's awesome, but at the same time we can be transfixed on things that are earthly, never outside of our heavenly ambassadorship because we're moving to something far greater and it's so easy to get entangled like this. And one of the things he says here which I find fascinating, um, verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift with money. You thought. And this is where our thinking can get us in a whole lot of trouble. You know, this is why God wants to give us his mind. Because our thinking lead us to pathways. And he's speaking out of his heart. So out of his heart come his words. Simon's. So his thought is coming from here. You see his heart is being displayed. 
What's in you will manifest out of you. And so out of the heart. And so that's where when the truth gets spoken, what happens is the mind goes into gear and it exposes the heart. So your mind kicks in, this thing talks, because they are linked. That's why it's very hard to get a renewing of the mind of your unbelief here, because this is the place of understanding, not here. So there's unbelief here, the mind hears it, shuts it down, doesn't have a chance, but it's got to hit here. So there's this interesting posture of our thinking, hence the renewing of the mind. So if your thinking's wrong, your life will be wrong. You will be finding yourself um, <clears throat> running down pathways and you wonder why this isn't what it's supposed to be. And yet you don't stop because you can see a bit of life. Oh, I raised a dead guy last week. Cool. Healed someone of cancer the next week. Cool. But what about the eternal? What about the inner realm? What about this blessed of the poor in spirit? What about a joy and a peace that guards your heart and mind thing? And and what about getting part of a body and allowing yourself to be part of a body? Not. I look at Simon and I see Lone Ranger. I see a guy that's consumed himself who wants to go and win the world on his own. It's not the pattern. And it's interesting that what what Peter's addressing is not actually the like it's not even the miracles, you know, it's 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 the heartbeat, you know, it's um it's the way that he's operating and it's interesting to me like with with Simon, firstly like the what he's doing is uh good the good miracles that benefit people and what he's wanting to do is to is to have the power to be able to lay hands on people and then they receive the holy spirit are these not like good almost even like christian biblical things that he's after you know he's operating in miracles that would seem like they would help people and he's asking that he might receive the power to be able to lay hands on people and they receive the gifts of the holy spirit so we've got even like like things to benefit people's earthly bodies but even he's even more religious and spiritual than that he wants to be able to see people filled with the holy spirit through his laying on hands like in in my mind he's wanting to do all the right things but Peter doesn't even address the fact and say, hey, why on earth are you doing miracles? There's something so much greater at stake here than just whether or not he's doing miracles. And I feel like to us, that's the heartbeat of what we're talking about and why we're not anti the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, why would we put on an entire series called the gifts of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you know, would, would we not be better to just preach that they're not for today? It's actually, we don't believe that at all. We believe that they absolutely and totally are a vital part of God's eternal plan and purpose for us as a church. But in here, we see something that's so important that, like we heard about this morning, that, that love, that loving God and knowing God is the, is more important than any miracle that we could ever do, you know? Um, and, and, and in here we see, um, Peter rebuking Philip because there's something more at stake than his, his ability to do miracles. Um, so, so, and if, um, I don't think we're going to have time to get to the other passage, but Luke 9, 
Jesus is rebuking the same spirit out of James and John. Just jot that down in your notebooks. Should we just take a take a pause and um, open it up for questions? Um, does anyone have any questions at um, at this stage that they that they'd like to ask? Sarah, always rely on you. I was just wondering, um, like, I personally haven't raised any dead people, or <laughs> sorry, everyone. Um, or I don't like, I feel like I'm more inclined to shy away from big, like, faith requiring prayer towards people that I don't know, or, you know, like, I, I feel like the people that we're talking about in the Bible, uh, inclined towards those big things, because Jesus behaved like that. Um, how can I relate to what? Do you know, do you know where I'm going with the question? Like, I feel like my inclination isn't toward chasing those things. And so therefore, putting them aside, I feel like my inclination is to be probably needing more faith than, yeah, does that make sense? I'm not sure if I heard the question. So my, I, so my understanding, Siri, correct me if I'm wrong, is just saying, how does this relate to us today? Um, seeing as we're not going out and doing miraculous miracles every day, is that is that what you're saying? Uh, oh, no, you <laughs> so, so for me, this like the, these passages and the entire scriptures, if, everything in here is written in a completely different context to what we live in. It's written thousands, some thousands of years ago, but everything in here absolutely applies to us today and that's why we need revelation by the Holy Spirit to see not just the words on the page but what what lies behind it, you know. And so for me, while we might not be going out and trying to literally like buy the Holy Spirit so that we can lay hands on people, like I, I like what Sandra was saying before that it's that this we can operate in the same way, feeling like we need to approve ourselves to God by doing works. Or feeling like we constantly need to be doing to find our identity and find who we are. And so to me that, that's the, that's the real relevance, particularly as we start to look more at the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we, our, our lives become built on a, on a firm foundation, which is, is knowing Him and, and loving Him and our works flow from a place of identity as opposed to needing to do works to find our identity. Is that? Um, I would encourage you, though, that God wants you to step out. So um, it's an area of growth for you because he does give us the command to lay hands on the sick, preach the gospel, and do all those things. The challenge with us as people is we tend to swing from pendulum past the midpoint to the other pendulum. So we, we live in extremes. And we never find the place we're supposed to find, you know. So you go, let's just take seriously. Like, oh, oh, that will never be an issue for me because, you know, I'm sitting over here. But then God says, actually, well, it needs to be an issue for you. It's actually part of your maturity and your growth to, I'm going to take you from this extreme and start pulling you towards the middle. But what happens is you go from nothing over here. And now you're like this guy. 
and you miss the middle place. And so we need to bring all this because there's, you tend to find people sit in two camps and they're both extremes. So the other extreme is everyone that's setting up the healing stuff and everything's about healing and that's all they ever say. It's healing, you know, so there's the extreme. And so it's finding Christ in the middle. So yeah, your challenge is you actually need to grow, you know, we need to, I encourage you to grow more and step into that because there are things he wants to show you in that. But as you do that, learn from what we're saying so you don't get, as you do that, entangled in these things like some people can do. Um, you know, and so that's the other extreme. Some people go from doing all this stuff to nothing. You know, it's just like, oh, we've been accused of, oh, you, you only have about knowing God and just singing songs and that's it. It's like, no, if you know God, out of you will come works. And they're predestined, the works, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's works that are predestined for us to do. Um, and so, you know, but you can obviously reject them because of fear not wanting, don't hear this, don't hear, this is not fear, hear faith, don't hear fear, because some people can go, oh, I'm never going to lay hands on one person again because I don't want to mess this up, that's not the position to hear from this, all we're saying is as we go and as we step out, be aware of some things, okay, because Jesus is the example of the demonstration of who we are to be and become, but what we're talking about is coming into his inner life, and through his inner life will express an external life. So everything that is accomplished in and through you comes from your being in Christ. So do not hear, oh my goodness, I'm never going to speak to anybody, lay hands on anybody. Oh, was that you, Lord? I don't know if it was you, Lord. Oh, uh, and you just like are paralyzed. That's not what, that would break my heart if you heard that or were in that position. Because we see in the passage that Philip was doing those miracles. That's how that's how this all starts, you know, yeah. is that he's he's operating in in those gifts which we yeah, which are absolutely for, for us today. Hey? So, but the other the other thing, sorry if I can just step in here. Um, he wasn't just doing miracles, he was proclaiming Christ. And the signs were coming, you know, and and when you look at the Luke nine um, section which um, we referred to before, it's interesting that there's Things that Jesus is talking about um, in in the last few verses of that chapter, and you know people are putting in these excuses and stuff. Oh, I I need to go and bury my father first, and and he says, allow the buried to, uh, the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So the the life within us must come out. That that's that's who he is. Who, who would hold good news here when it can bring life? <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's what Philip was doing. That was all the, these disciples when they were, f- they were f- in this position where they were fleeing out of their homes and out of the, out of the city. You know, men and women and children were, were fleeing into other surrounding areas, but they weren't fleeing in fear and, and cowering. They were spreading, and that was actually the birth of the church coming because Jesus said, you know, first in Jerusalem, then in in Judea and Samaria, and then the outer parts of the earth. 
the Lord knew this was going to happen and he actually instigated it to spread the gospel, which is um, is so amazing because the life within us must come out. And um, the, 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 to, to share of the life of Christ in any moment and to walk by the Spirit is to hear him and obey in whatever that looks like um, in in any moment, just like with Jesus. So it's not to say every time you see a person with crutches, you have to go and 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 pray for them. It's like walking in the Spirit and and being led by Him in all of those things, just as Jesus um, was and showed. You know. Good question. Did you have a question? And we'll come to you afterwards. Repentance. Oh, my heart still. So repentance, for me, I think I have an ideal that repentance is a one-off and it's, and it's, that's it, that's dealt with. But I think I'm coming, the question is, it's repentance a process because for me repentance is a one off it's dealt with and it's not going to come back that that position of the heart or is repentance layers to it to one level yes that was repentance but there's deeper repentance on that same issue do you hear what I'm saying yep. yes and yes Good luck. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> it's the two-sided coin coming together and in the middle of the coin is where it is. It is yes and yes, but there is a repentance. See, there's a breaking. No, you can't. And that that's that's the challenge of this whole thing. So... David found a place and he said, a broken spirit, a contrite heart you never despise. But he didn't find that place and he wasn't even aware of that place until something happened. So this is in the depths of your innermost recesses that you might not even know exist. And so there is a repentance as an event where there's a shattering of your will that never comes back your will gone and you have a brand new will now that once again depending on how you receive Christ the day you heard the gospel did you invite Christ we say invite did you was the decision you made was it from your head or was it from a true place of that smashing in an inner realm where your inner realm is screaming out I need saving I need a brand new source of life because my source of life my will has now been smashed and it's obliterated I've fallen upon the rock and I've been broken to pieces that's an event a powerful event where a person comes to the end of their will okay now we can just say, yeah, Lord, come in and we, he comes here yeah, on top of our will. 
And so he'll accept you that, but he still needs to go deeper and smash your will. Okay? So that can be then that's a process. Because he hasn't gone to the depths of that innermost hidden place yet, and you're unaware it even exists in you. Because, yeah, and, and it's a Holy Spirit thing. The Holy Spirit has to show you it because you're unaware. It's like, you know, I've written this in my book. Are you aware of your true state without Christ? None of you are good. So if you think you're good, you're unaware of your true state, which is evil, which the Bible clearly explicitly says man is evil. You who are evil who know how to give good gifts, who's he talking to? Oh, I know someone else, but it ain't me. See, so when he takes you to this place and he shows you your evil heart nature because of the fall, then he shows you his love for you in the state and he reveals it like the Holy Spirit is, it's a supernatural event. <laughs> the great wall comes down and it never gets put back together again. Because it's his power that smashes your spirit of pride. Okay, okay. So that's a event. Now there are people who haven't yet experienced that, and yet they still can't deny themselves because self is still sitting there, and they can't love others because it's still sitting there. Because self doesn't love anybody; it loves itself. Okay, and that's Peter pre his massive fall. He can't deny Christ and he can't love anybody. Jesus even gives him a command. Hey, Peter, go love those guys as I love. He says, where are we going? He's not even interested in the commandment of love. See, So if you're a person that hasn't had that, there's a good chance you've just incorporated him in and he needs to do a deeper work in, which is a process. And we're afraid of that because we're losing ourselves. No, you're about to find who you are in Christ. Which you can't do. Yeah, you can't. It's impossible to deny you. You can through your own human will, and he did. He he left his physical. You can deny your physical, what Sam was saying. You can deny everything physical. But you can't deny the curse of self. It's too great for you. It's stronger than you. That's why that's why that's why he came. That's why. It's it separates you. So he he will accept, but he wants to do a work. So then Depending on where you're at with that, again, there's a repentance of a renewing of the mind. Okay, so Peter goes through his process. The rooster crows. I personally believe everything Jesus said. The word of God went and pierced his heart. And when Jesus looked into his eyes and he hears the rooster crow, there's an interaction between heaven and earth. Yep, and smash the man wept bitterly because he's a realizing. What he said, what Jesus said, and as a moment, there's an event in time. And douche. So he hasn't yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So even when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, his mind was on a process of being renewed by the Spirit and truth. Because in Acts 10, when the vision comes down of the food, he doesn't realize that's for the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit. He's not, I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. But his heart had been altered. He was the same guy, but his inner realm was radically different. And now you see a man who's able to do things he wasn't able to do because he's filled with a new power. Okay. And Luke 9 is James and John have a spirit in them 
which wants to cast out fire. That's not the spirit of love. Think about it. Because they hadn't gone through this process themselves yet either. So Jesus says, what spirit? You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know what's coming out of you. Did they have a demon? No. Was it their flesh? Yes. What happened? They didn't get what they wanted. So their response, because they didn't know who they were, was let's torch these guys. Jesus says, I come to save man. Why are you trying to destroy man? Because they're orphans operating out of a gift who don't know who they are yet. So it's the same spirit that's in this guy, Simon. Just different part of the story. It can be the same in us. That's why when things happen, we respond and horrible comes out. You know, blame you, your fault, this, that, this. So when the truth comes, the truth must repent. Sorry, the, when the truth comes, the flesh must repent, but the flesh hates the truth. And the flesh will never jump on the cross. So the word has to continue to go out in the hope that two things happen. Your spirit, which is in you, hears a word, receives it, and the final part of that breaking takes place because the word comes in. The word that's sharper than the double-edged sword pierces the thoughts and attitudes of your heart and sets you free from you. Or you get to the end of you because you try and you try and you try and you try and you try. Smash. And it's a promise Jesus gives in Luke 17, 20. He's talking to the Pharisees and he says, you don't want the rock to fall on you. That's not good, but they did not believe him. So they were going to face the judgment throne of Christ, the white judgment throne. And the wrath of God was going to come on them because they rejected Christ. Yeah, You don't want that. So he says, everyone who falls upon the rock will be broken into pieces. So how far did you fall? From what height did you fall when you received Christ? Was it seven meters, a hundred meters, half a foot? Where was your inner realm when you received Jesus Christ? Was it smashed, broken into a trillion pieces? Or were you still alive and well, kicking? But you wanted your life a little bit better, didn't want to go to hell. He receives us as we are, but that doesn't mean this inner work happens. And there's a deep work that needs to happen in us like Peter. So Peter and the disciples were incorporated followers up until Acts. They'd only incorporated. He wasn't in them, was he? They weren't filled with the Spirit. So what happens here is the Spirit comes in. So Philip is filled with the Holy Spirit, which now enables behavioral changes, which happens to us when we feel baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a, a crumbling down of us, but my experience is many don't, have you know this is even within them and so we keep trying wondering why it's hard so Christianity's hard no it's not it's not hard you know suffering's a joy rejoice in trials and tribulations why because it's producing a work it's really quite warped when the flesh hears that but when the spirit hears it your spirit jumps I'm going to rejoice in suffering because it produces hope. 
oh, can I have more of that, please? And so why do you think the church grew when they were persecuted? you got to create a hunger for something you can't do. I'll come back to that statement again. Um, just with you, when you talk about like um, when you got saved and you got smashed and stuff, um, I'm what I'm wondering is I feel like throughout my Christian journey there's going okay, going okay, smash, and then dealing with that, going okay, going okay, smash, and it's like this constant thing. And part of me feels like, is there something wrong with me? Because sometimes when you talk about it, it sounds like it should be a thing that happens and then you're okay. But for me, that's not the reality. It's a constant smashing and then healing and then smashing and then healing. And so my question is, is there something wrong with me? (laughs) Or is that what it's going to look like forever? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) Um, look, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> um, I think, like I said, I think depending on how you receive at the starting point, I, I feel I was blessed that the start of my journey was an absolute smashing. So that's not necessarily everyone's experience. But there's a smashing that needs to happen to release you from you. Now maybe God's going to take you on a process where you're going to get smashed upon smashed upon smashed upon smashed to finally smash that out of you. <laughs> um, ultimately, I don't know. That's sort of between you and him. But what I see in the scriptures is promises that enable us to live them out. And he says something and we receive those things. Um, and they're absolute promises. So I think because it's an invisible supernatural reality, it's mysterious. There is no formula. There is no one, two, three step plan and there you go, I'm dealt with. It's deep. And he, you know, who knows the heart? Who knows the thoughts of man but the man himself? Who knows the spirit, the thoughts of God but the spirit of God? Man doesn't even know his own heart. Man thinks he there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. But man doesn't even know that. Like that, he thought. So we're a complicated, complex being. (laughs) And so um, what I do know is that you can be set free from you. Meaning the will that God has given that dictates and drives behavior not for him, but for you, you can be free of. You can get free of you through the word of God. That's the whole point and the purpose of why he came to set us free and be free from you. And then that releases you to be able to wholeheartedly abandon unto him. So where your treasure is, there you'll find your heart. If you find you're half-hearted, then there's more work that needs to be done, I would say, of a, of a work in you the power and that's why I think many people have only heard the words of the gospel not the work of the gospel I received the work of the gospel 
didn't hear anyone preach. I wasn't even in a building, but I heard that I received the work of what Jesus did. And that's why Paul says, no one taught me this. I didn't sit there in a meeting and someone said, this is what you need to do. I got a revelation of a person in me and the gospel came alive. So it's the work of the gospel that sets us free, not a mental agreement of words that someone may have spoke that you went, yes, that's true. That's still okay, but that's not going to release you from you. So the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that needs to operate in us and set us free from us, and that is outside of our ability. That's why we don't like it. That's why you've got to get to the end of you, and our natural man doesn't want to go there. I think it's also important to remember that when we're talking about that ultimate smashing, it's not just being smashed that it's bro- it's like um, it is it is a breaking and a you know and it hurts, but but at the same time it's a revealing of him. True sight comes; the heart is open to to a loving, good God, and it, the revealing of him. For me personally, it was the revealing of him self as he actually is, choosing to reveal him, himself to someone who is in, in such opposition to who he was. That's what, like, that repentance was because of his kindness, because he chose to reveal himself, um, as he actually is to someone who was so, so, um, unconscious, uh, and unconscious of him and opposed to everything of him, and so it was. It was a smashing of this, this thing of self uh, that loves itself, that wants the world centered around itself. All of that, that that was smashed because it was almost like the that little world that I had created around myself was smashed when when my eyes got to see the the greater reality, um, and my eyes were widened to the divine reality of this God that loves and everything is connected and in fact the whole world is centered around him <laughs> as a person. Um, so it it's a smashing, alright, but it's a revealing as well, you know, all at the same time. That that actually brings us alive. It's like you it, yeah, you're it's being killed but it's but it's being um, res- like resuscitated by love. You know, and um, it's—I f- I feel like it's a dual thing, you know. Yeah. And and sorry, just to to go from there. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> is um, you know, and then and then coming back to life because you know who who literally saved you, who literally came and rescued you. There is this this thing that is in us that now knows where its life has come from, and and. This saviour has saved me and I am forever indebted by love to love, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, a natural, supernatural, natural response, you know. And I think, like, when, when we hear the word smashed, it can easily be to think about, like, smashing being like a baseball bat to the head. <coughs> but actually, like and and while sometimes a, a situation can can be part of that and bring us to that place, it's it's a po- it's poverty of spirit and brokenness of spirit that we need 
to have as opposed to just a crap life, you know? Like, for example, Greg and I chatting briefly about the other week, I, I had a homeless guy that lived with me for a while and he had the most horrific life you could ever think of, you know, in the sense that he lived, he lived on the street, he had to scavenge for food, he didn't have clothes, he'd, and yet he was potentially one of the most, uh, all of humanity are like this, but out from him, he always thought that he was right in every single situation and could not accept that there was another way of doing things that would be better than his way, except that his way was continually leading him to absolute destruction and was completely destroying his life, yet he was so alive on the inside. So if we look at on the outside, his life had been completely smashed. He grew up in a really awesome home with fantastic, um, I think they were adopted parents who were incredible, yet he had completely rejected that and had put himself in the most horrific of situations, yet there was he went through the most hell on the outside, but he what he didn't come to is a place of poverty and brokenness of spirit where he let go of himself and let go of the fact that he was the biggest problem in his life, you know? Um, and so he was smashed, but he wasn't smashed, you know? Um, he was broken, but he wasn't broken. And so if, if brokenness has to be just what's going on around us, and let me say, sometimes being broken on the outside can facilitate a situation like in here where you receive a word that does a work on the inside, but it's, it's not, it can't do that on it by itself, you know? And so I, I think like otherwise the people that were the most impoverished and had the most horrific lives would be the most spirit filled, um, you know, on fire people, but that's just not the case, you know. Um, in fact, that you can have people that actually have re- things going really well for them actually can be, um, you know, full of the Holy Spirit, and and so it's it's not a are you rich or are you poor, is your life good or is your life bad, but has there been a transaction on the inside where you're? To me, you know, talk about a baseball bat to the head. It's like it says that the word of God is um, is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide soul, even as far as soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And to me, it's that it's that brokenness that needs to happen, where a sword doesn't just chop off our head; it actually penetrates all the way through to the inside and does the work within us. So. David says it's being born in iniquity and sin and transgression. So he came into the world like that, and that was in him. And that's why we need to be saved. The problem is, and and this is what God's smashing here, is if all you know is institution, so you know you think it's about going to the church, doing things, that's all institution. It's like just because our children grow up with believing parents doesn't mean that they're going to know this reality within them. They need revelation. We all need revelation. Just you know, we've we say this is the church. No, this is just a building where the church gather. And the church number one needs revelation. And he needs to show us all. You need to see how how do you appreciate him if you don't know what you're saved from? Well I'm I'm a good guy. I actually didn't really need saving. Because see, we're so behaviorally driven. So we go, Paul Pot, he was evil, because look at what he did. 
that's not me because I don't do that. And we judge it. And so we go, according to my standard, he's evil, I'm not. God says you're both evil. But unless you know you're evil, you don't think you're evil. So you're okay, you're good. And your whole motto is to keep rules. But Lord, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. He says, yet yeah, there's one point you missed. It's actually your whole heart's not even in it. You've missed the entire point to what you think is following me. And at that moment is when you are challenged. And at that moment, there's an interaction that can happen between heaven and earth. But I've seen many people leave that position because they are so afraid of what that's going to mean because they actually don't know God. They only know about God and God's offering them right there a life and they go, nah. And then I've seen people say, the Lord is leading me away from this place to justify the transition that God wants to do. You know, and I've said this before, but the rich, no, not the rich, the woman at the well in John 4, when he says, go get your husband, that's massive. If you want the living water, I see into your heart. And there is an idol in your heart that's stopping this living water coming. She probably has no idea. She's got five husbands, she's onto the sixth, and she's rocking onto the seventh, you know. And the whole thing is like she's looking for life in the natural. And he has to address the issues of your heart if you want the fullness of God. Because he doesn't have your heart. You have it. Or you've given it away. And so to have an all-encompassing, he's got to look and show you what's in your heart that you don't even know is there. And and the word I got then, just as these guys were talking, was it's an orphan spirit, guys. Orphans cannot live as sons. Orphans will always take care of themselves. An orphan cannot love when they are offended. They either get hurt or they rebel back. They can't take the hit and love. It's impossible because an orphan is still wound up in self. You go to orphanages, I've been there, you see them. They, the kids that don't know Christ, who are orphans, you can be a son and be an orphan. You can technically be a son, but on the inside be an orphan and live as an orphan. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just a limited, and you can't live outside of it because it's, it's got you. It's literally got you like that. And so what happens is he he wants to come with his word and his power and his love and shatter that into pieces. And you're just like you're released from your inner spirit of pride that we're all born with that's demonic. You're not a demon, but it's a demonic reality. And that's why we got it rescued from it. It's the same thing that was in Satan, it's in us. Horrible. But he loves us, he believes in us, and he's covering us, all for the purpose of transforming us. Man, what an offer. Man, I think we're that. Um, did that answer your question, Jake? <laughs> Half an hour later. <laughs>
So, like, relationally, this is just an example. So for my smashing, that's all relationally between me and God and yeah, and that relationship. But I'm just, my question is, I'm just wondering if if there is any responsibility or, like, what, if there's a responsibility of um, the body and walking that out together, like... Uh, yeah, I guess what responsibility the the body have in fellowshipping that out if there is any responsibility there in walking or um, I, I think absolutely the body has a responsibility to one another and I think so fir- firstly no one can bring you to that place apart from the Holy Spirit, you know, um, but it's about recognizing what He's doing in each other, and being able to encourage one another to stay in the process, you know, because um, so often you can see someone going through something, at, you know, um, and Holy Spirit is starting to bring some things to the light, and it can almost be like we heard about last Sunday morning where there's a death and these women are trying to spice up a dead body, you know. Um, and, um, or you know to, to try and um, to try and cover over the flesh in the in the wrong way, um, and and almost provide a, a way out or another alternative gospel for for people as they're going through that process, as opposed to saying, "Hey, I know this is hard. Stick in it. Keep your eyes focused on Him. Uh, keep allowing Him to to minister to you on the inside and do this work." and um, th- does that make sense? Yeah. So it's it's encouragement then takes on um, a completely different um, shape. It's not just there, there. Actually, you're okay. Don't don't worry about that. You know, it's actually saying no. Stay in it. You know, keep your eyes keep your eyes single. Keep you know keep going. It's it's worth it. I've been through this process. I know what this has done to me. It's take it's courage. Worth, that's right. You know. And the other thing is. Um, not to look for the ways out. Um, so a common thing that um, I used to live in and I've, I've seen over and over again with others as well is that pressure comes on, lots of pressure, and the flesh response is, oh, I'm spinning ten plates now. I've got to readjust and realign my life so I'm not doing so much. So I've got to get peace back. But that in, in the Lord, that's just not a thing. It's really not a thing, you know? And how many people will advise, oh yes, you need to cut that one out and cut that one out. And so there you have man's version of trying to come into the rest of God, which is not a rest of God. It's all our version of. And, and so many times he, he allows pressure to come on to expose what's in our heart. And if it's not him, then we we need to face that and come to him, not come to I've got to work this out. And and you see, there's two trees that we're drawing from, and the fall has caused us to be drawing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Christ, by by coming as the tree of life has come in the power of the cross, has got the power to cut the root of that thing. 
and set us free from drawing from that source and to actually plant us into who he is, which is life. And that is going to be, it gets exposed. The very, the very source of our life gets exposed for what it is so that we can be set free. But if we keep on with the same cyclic behavior of trying to fix it in whatever way we feel is the right way to fix it, we will go round and round and round that mountain. And it will go on and on and on. So I'll just encourage you, I mean that's just one kind of instance, but I see that replayed a lot. Um, but the, you will feel, I, I just think that the Lord allows us to go through pressure, he says. You know, he will test um, what is what is built. And if if we really have been, have, have we received the word and has the word done its work in us? And then he'll, he will test that with pressure. And if, if it shows that it's not built, well then it's a win-win if we respond to it in the right way. But if we go back into this earth trying to fix thing, you know, the flesh way, then all we do is we go back into the cycle. And all of these times, he, he sets us up for a win. But we must have, you know, our eyes set on him and asking the right questions in those times, you know? Yeah, things, like, things like discipleship, um, the spiritual gifts, you know, I think those are all ways of um, the body being responsible to one another. Um, and just as you said, responsibility is... Um, it took me to Ephesians where it talks about, you know, the prayer for spiritual wisdom, but everything God's given us, that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And for me, it's like we have, uh, as believers, all been given like so much, so much. And so um, responsibility, it means like we have the ability as believers from what we've received, we have the ability to respond to one another. We, we have been given everything in order to live out and uh, we are enabled in every way uh, to become the body uh, and the the bride, the people, the nation, the city. It, it, what he's that eternal purpose he's called us into, and so yes, we are absolutely responsible because we have the ability to res- to respond. To say that we haven't got anything and that we're poor, um, you know, is is not good. To not know who you are, that's right, and and. Uh, and, and I think that um, kills out trying to be irresponsible or trying to avoid conflict or, like you're saying, the peacemaker, peacekeeper. It's, yeah, been given everything. So, yes, we are responsible. It's a key role of every member, right. every disciple in the body. So that's, you know, it doesn't so this is Galatians 6. It says, bear one another's burdens. Brethren, if... Even if, sorry, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, okay, mature, you who are mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. So you love your brother and sister as if Christ would love them, which maintains the spirit of oneness, unity in the body. So the bearing of one another's burdens isn't let me fix you. I see many Christians trying to fix Christians because they're not comfortable with the person that's getting broken down. I've been in discipleship groups where someone is about to lose it and it's awesome and all the other people in the room freak out and try and counsel them out of it. And I get your hands off, the Spirit's working, that's actually scaring you because you know you've got to go through the same thing, so they shut it down. And you step in and the Holy Spirit leaves the room because you've just quenched His Spirit, the Spirit. So carrying another's burden is walking with them. But see, you can't walk with them really unless you've gone through something. And so through as you grow and mature, you're able to help discern, you're able to help see what it is, and then you're actually able to speak into what the other person can't see. And that's why hopefully they know you're for them, you're not against them, and you love them. So the only reason I'm coming to Mel to share with Mel something is because it's actually affecting and hurting Mel. This is why you have the burden. But I come in a spirit of gentleness, and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. Even if you spew and vomit on me, me all over me I'm going to wipe that off and I'm not leaving you might leave Mel but I won't because love doesn't go anywhere because I fulfilled the law of Christ okay then it goes on listen to this it says for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself okay so this is this whole reality of coming into the reality of the truth that makes you free not just thinking you're in it because you may have grown up in a christian home you prayed a prayer when you were 25 there's a very strong authentic reality a demonstrate that god is looking for from the body of christ so we have the opportunity to be ministers of love our full-time role is to love people but you can't if you don't know love Someone who only knows about love cannot love. You have to know love. Love has to be received in you. You have to be being perfected in love for you to be able to minister like that. What would a family look like if everyone loved everyone the way Christ loves us? It's what everyone is looking for. The church and a lost world. The authentic, real, tangible love which is only from heaven. So that's a fantastic question because that's the role of everybody. You do it in your natural family, eh? Who do you go to? Mom, dad, brother or sister? But here it's like, oh, I don't want your issues, man. I've got my issues in me. I see oh, let's go this way. Oh, Lord, leave me over here. And you know how to, you, you, you need to know how to live that out because that is not carrying the burdens. That is not trying to fix people. That is not allowing people to try and give you their bomb. Because people try and do that. You fix me. You take my bomb. No, I'm going to walk with you. I'm free of you so I can walk with you and demonstrate something to you, even if you never change. It's irrelevant because I'm not loving for an outcome. Great question, Amy. All right. Anyone with a really burning, urgent question that they have been holding on to all night? Or should we call it a night? All right, last question. If you do have another question, um, you can jot it down and you can ask it next week.
kind of building on what Amy's question was, um, how important is prayer and interceding for one another and getting one another to this reality? Is, can we get one another to this reality without that, or is it vital to coming into this reality? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I th- um, as I was um, saying earlier, you know, the the co-laboring says, says the Lord's working with us, you know, and and, um, and it's His will, it's His purpose. We know that He never stops working in His people. Um, uh, his word is not going to return to Him void. And so, the good news is. It's happening, like, um, and it, so it's not, again, it's not, we don't, um, it's not on us to, um, get each other, um, help me here, uh, fixed, yeah, fixed change. We can't trans, transform another, but we can partner with God, um, and again, it's the sense of, um, uh, when it says working together with God, it talks about a synergy, which I thought was beautiful, where a synergy is the whole thing of like, it's, it's more than one element working together that has a greater effect than one on its own. And if you can imagine a praying body, uh, the synergy of, of the prayers of every individual within the body for one another, that the purpose of God uh, will come about here in each of us and in this place, you know, not far off and we're seeing things happen here or there, but, but, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters, us looking at one another, imagine the synergy, you know, the, the power of, um, individuals joined with Christ praying for the, each other for the same, the same reality and the, the same, the same divine calling. Um, so yes, Linda, I think it's absolutely vital. Yeah. And I think you see Paul pray that. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in the knowledge. So I love this saying, we said it before, you know, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make it. But you can pray it gets thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing, is that you can pray that a person would realize their absolute need for God all the time, not just when they think they need God. And you can ask God to move. Um, and God can move. And But most of the time God moves in, in accordance to the choice of your will. So you can pray that up and pray that up. But if the person actually doesn't want to change, they can resist and reject. Now God can still trump that, but he tends not to. He works with us of our choice. So he's waiting, waiting. That's why love is patient. So without prayer, we're wasting our time. You know, the, the church were earnestly praying for the release of Peter. And then an angel turned up and released him. And I found it fascinating when he turned up at the door, they didn't believe it was him. <laughs> they prayed for it and it happened and they didn't believe it. But, um, so yes, prayer is essential. Um, but a person must want it. That's the challenge, you know, a person must, and that's why it becomes individual responsibility. You know, and if we all entered into what God wants to do in us, then what type of people would we be? If we all said, I'm not looking at Mel, I'm not looking at Anne, I'm not looking at Danny, I'm not expecting anyone else to change, I'm going to. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to change me. If we all committed to that and didn't look at anyone else, what would it be? 
Amen. And I think throughout that process, as we're interceding and praying for others, we're also being changed. We're receiving more of the Father's heart for those people and, and, and for ourselves. And all of a sudden, our prayers start to change from being, God, I just pray that you would change this person, really, so that our lives would be easier, you know? <laughs> like, um, to, all, to all of a sudden, you know, he's working in us as we're praying for him to work in someone else and all of a sudden we're praying from a selfless place, you know, that you're, you're praying that someone would, um, would, would encounter God and the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of their heart so that they would know him not for what comes back to you, but just simply because, you know, that's God's heart for them, you know, so. And that's what our Wednesday mornings are. So every Wednesday at 6.30 here, those are the type of prayers we're praying. Cool. All right. Good night, everyone. Um, and I mean that like it's been a good night. <laughs> not, like, not like hurry up, get it's out. Good here. night no, from it's me, <laughs> and it's good night from him. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's been cool. Great questions tonight, um, and um, feels like it's been some real good dialogue. And um, this doesn't have to be the end of it. So if you do have questions, you can jot them down for next week, or you can email any one of us, or come and speak with us after. We're always keen to just chat and dialogue but um mel do you want to just pray for us before we finish up father god we um thank you for who you are first and foremost and we thank you uh that um you have called us uh to to yourself and everything uh, that you that you have it's your kingdom your inheritance um and i just thank you i thank you lord that you are faithful um to to the work you have started and um that you promise to never leave us and to to be with us through it all, and um, yeah, thank you for the precious life of your son. And I pray as as your people, um, who are the receivers of your life, God, I, pr- I pray we never take your son for granted. That we never um, treat anything of you as common or as as something for our own use, our own selfish benefit, Lord, but. But God, I, I pray that you, you keep our eyes open, our hearts open uh, to yourself, uh, uh, that we would so deeply value everything about you. And Lord, that we would hang on to every word you have to say. I thank you that um, it says the, your, your, the first work of God is to believe. Amen. And I pray that we would believe you on every yes, word Lord. you have to say, that we don't live off bread alone. But we live by every word that comes from your mouth. Amen. And so, God, I thank you for your mana today. I thank you uh, for, for what we are hearing, what we have been hearing. I uh, thank you that it's, it is literally feeding our, our inner realm and um, it, it, is, it is increasing. Um, and uh, I thank you for your kingdom. And um, I, I pray that we would remain uh, present uh, and know that your love is present. It's for today. Everything you're saying is for today. It's not for tomorrow. It's not for a future thing. Uh, but it is for today. It is for now. And I bless you and we love you and we thank you, God, uh, just, just purely for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.